BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. What do you remember from the Olympics? For most people, it's probably a surprise gold medal, an underdog story, or a nail-biting finish. You probably don't remember the closing ceremony. Honestly, who even watches those? The closing ceremony happens after all the athletics are over and after all the medals have been won. They put out the Olympic flame, and the athletes usually stick around long enough to march in the parade and then go home as soon as they can. Usually pretty forgettable stuff. But Latara Bullock-Smith remembers one closing ceremony very well. Look wow, at so 90s. Those jackets are awesome. <laughs> <laughs> shiny. And the chunky socks. Now the tap sequence to represent images of the marathon, the pounding feet. This is from the 1992 Olympics in Barcelona. Latara watched it from home in Atlanta, Georgia. And towards the end of the ceremony, a bunch of dancers come on stage. They're wearing parachute jackets and backwards baseball caps. Very 90s. They're doing like neon too. So is he supposed to be representing Atlanta right now? I guess so. Introducing the next host city is a traditional part of the closing ceremony. These are all dancers from Atlanta, where the next Olympics in 96 will be held. And Latara is watching closely because her friend Mark is going to be on stage that night in Barcelona. But he didn't tell us, like, what he was going to be doing. Oh, dear. Okay, here comes Mark with... There he is. And if you're wondering what it is, its name is, what is it? Really, the name of Atlanta's mascot is what is it with a Z. Computer generated character with a large size of stars, a big grin, oversized sneakers, and lightning bold eyebrows. A big blue blob with a wide toothy grin walks out onto the stage and joins the other dancers. And inside that costume is Latara's friend Mark. They're both professional dancers. So he's all about this. So he's thriving right now. Yeah, he's all in it. <laughs> what is it tap dances, does some ballet moves? At one point, what is it elegantly lifts one leg into the air? It's very graceful. So he can't see a thing, by the way. He can't see anything in the costume? No, his eyes are where the smile is. So he's like totally like blind right now. Sometimes he does look kind of lost on stage, almost bumping into the other dancers. Oh, 
the South that hosts the Centennial Games. 26th Olympia. When the Atlanta mascot appeared, it begged an obvious question. What is it? I would say, you know how when you squirt out toothpaste mm. and you have a little little end sure. of the toothpaste where it kind of curves around when you squirt yeah. it out? Like that's the perfect commercial. Right, exactly. That's exactly what it looked like. <laughs> Okay, so like the toothpaste, and, th- and that's like the body. Yes. And then it and has then two like... legs. Yep. Two legs and big shoes, size 12, size 12 red boots, and then rings on his tail. Oh, right. And those were the Olympic rings. Yes. Right? Rings are on his tail and rings are on his eyes. Um, some people say it looked like a raindrop. Um, okay. Other people had other names for it, but I won't say on here (laughs) what they said. (laughs) As an athlete, I've always wondered what goes on behind the scenes at the Olympics. What happens before the athletes get there and in the years leading up to the games? Because the Olympics are about so much more than sports. And for host cities, the games are a huge stage in front of the whole world. And it's a kind of performance, not only about athletics, but about the culture and history of a place. What makes it special? But the Olympics can also put a spotlight on all the problems the city has. From Beijing to London to Rio, the games always bring controversy. And this year is no different. A lot of people are asking, should we even have the Olympics? In the 90s, when What Is It walked out on stage, The silly blue mascot for the Atlanta Games, it would be at the center of a storm of controversy. Not just about the mascot, but about what happens when the Olympics come to town. I'm Kareem Maddox, and this is The Greatness. In the early 90s, Atlanta was known as Black Mecca. There was a huge hip-hop scene. Outkast was just getting big. And tons of Black artists, musicians, and dancers were all moving there. Latara moved there too, and she came to Atlanta to be a star. She found a community of other dancers, took odd jobs, spent her free time in the dance studio, and went out to bars on Friday nights. It was Black Mecca. But it wasn't paradise. I remember one day um, I was driving and and I must have done something wrong. And this guy, he kind of gave me the finger and called me the N-word. And it shocked me so much because, again, I'm sitting here. I'm like, this is where I'm supposed to be. You know, this is it. And when that happened, it kind of brought me back to reality. When Latara moved there, the city was going through some big changes. Just a couple years earlier, Atlanta put in a bid to host the 96 Olympics. And to win the bid, the city government had to put together an organizing committee known as the Atlanta Committee for the Olympic Games, or ACOG. And they shot a promotional video. It shows shots of the city skyline, beautiful forests, lakes, and rivers, people heading to work. 
It's basically an advertisement for how great Atlanta is. A lot of what was happening with Atlanta making that bid was Atlanta was figuring out what its image was, like what it was selling. Kung Lee moved to Atlanta in the early 90s, right around when Latara moved there. It was selling a city. And, you know, Atlanta is this, is this incredibly complicated city. It's Black Mecca, but it's not. You know, it's a place of incredible opportunity, and it's also the place that is ranked number one in income inequality. You know, it's like, it's a Black city, it's a white-run city. Kung Lee was an activist, and they paid a lot of attention to what city officials were saying at the time. And so it's like, if, you, if the leaders in Atlanta were trying to then, they had to come up with what they were selling to the Olympic Committee. They had to agree on something. So it's like, what you know, it was, they had to come up with some, uh, some coherent image of what Atlanta was. The way Kung Lee saw it, ACOG was pitching Atlanta as this generic, modern, progressive city. They focused on Atlanta's civil rights history and Martin Luther King, but also pushed the city as a hub for technology and the internet, and also as a natural paradise. It was all over the place. The bid worked. And then, what is it came along? They then end up creating this icon that is asking the very question that their like their souls were crying out like what is it what is this city like what is it Kung Lee thought what is it was a perfect metaphor for Atlanta's olympic confusion it was everything and nothing what is it was controversial from the get go giant blue sperm okay oh, so, wait sorry giant blue sperm with two very large eyes and legs I did not have an opinion at all about it, besides the fact that my friends, my friend's the mascot, and you know, hey. Latara knew that people didn't love What Is It, but really she didn't think much about it after seeing Mark perform in the closing ceremony. And then Latara heard from Mark, who asked if she wanted a job, a job performing as What Is It? The Olympics were still four years away, but ACOG, the organizing committee, was launching a big promotional tour featuring What Is It? They would send the mascot all around Georgia to big fundraisers, hoping for corporate sponsors for the games. And What Is It? would go to local events and public schools too, to get Georgia citizens excited about the Olympics. Latara took the job. It was a paying gig and she wanted to perform and to make money doing it. Being part of the Olympics was a big deal too, Latara might even perform at the opening ceremony in 1996. Plus, she thought it would be fun to work alongside a friend. But then, Mark left. He went to go perform on a cruise ship, I do believe. And all of a sudden, the whole mascot program was on her shoulders. It was just Latara dancing in a blue costume. What is it was supposed to be like a hype man? The whole point of the mascot was to get people excited about the Olympics. The only problem? People didn't like it. Yeah, there was a strong negative reaction in the community um, in Atlanta. So ACOG gave the mascot a makeover. First step was a new name. ACOG decided to let kids from Georgia vote on it. And they picked Izzy. Izzy. 
And they were like, okay, well, that makes sense because it's kind of a play on what is it, right? It's just a shortened version. They also changed so many other elements of it. Izzy got a nose and a bigger smile. And I, I will say that it was received a little bit more warmly. Some people think that Izzy, that he actually is kind of weird looking. He's been called like a cross between the Pillsbury Dough Boy and the ugliest California raisin. Do you think that Izzy is ugly or is he cute? I think he's really cute. You think he's really cute? Now, do Not everyone thought the changes helped that much. Remember Kung Lee? What is it? And then it was such a stupid name, they turned it into Izzy. Then they had this whole backstory. It's like, it's a little boy. It's a boy alien. I mean, what does that even mean? He was a teenage boy, and he lived in the Olympic flame. There was a cartoon. They made a cartoon about this. <laughs> Take us through the, the interior of the costume. If you think about it, I don't know if you've ever seen a picture of Izzy. He doesn't really have a head. It's weird. He has big eyes on the top of his blue blob body and the blue blob has legs which are like little pants kind of right. like leggings so those are your legs but those yeah. are my legs with blue with blue furry leggings on okay i like are you sweating in there yes <laughs> okay you you couldn't couldn't really be fully clothed you had to wear like a sports bra and probably shorts because you were it's a sauna Oh, wow. And my mom, bless her heart, she's like, well, at least you're in shape, you know? <laughs> the job took Latara all over Georgia. She performed in the Izzy suit to all sorts of crowds, kids, adults, cities, small towns, including some places she would normally avoid as a black woman, rural, mostly white counties or conservative suburbs. Her whole life, Latara had always danced as herself. But as Izzy, she could disappear into the character. And no one ever knew who was inside the fuzzy blue suit. I just preferred for them not to know who I was, you know, gender-wise or, or race. I didn't ever want anybody to treat me different because of, you know, me being a woman or me being Black. And Latara noticed that Izzy made some people really happy. I particularly remember being um, at the children's hospital and there was a, a child who one of the nurses had told me hadn't smiled in two weeks. And I went into the room and when he saw Izzy, he just started smiling. And I'm, in, I'm inside the costume bawling at this point. I'm crying. And I was like, this is what it's all about. This is what being in this costume is really all about. Bringing joy to people like that. They may not be able to touch a basketball star or a gymnastics star, but here's this mascot that came out to see them and show them some love. And I think that that might be the, the biggest goal I had was to make sure that they knew that they were not forgotten, that they were included as a part of this whole experience. It was what Latara always wanted to do as a performer, bring people joy. I was like, well, one person at a time, I'm going to make everybody love Izzy. And I think that I, I became one, one with Izzy so much. And 
I almost took it too far. <laughs> almost took it too far. And my mom, and I would just, I would just tell her about like my day, but it was not me, it's him. And I would say, well, yeah, Izzy got a chance to meet so-and-so and Izzy did this. And my mom's, but like, you know, but like you did that, right? And she's like, oh my gosh, my poor daughter. She, <laughs> she's having an identity crisis. I don't know what's going on with her. Well, it became like an alter ego. You came to really like Izzy. I did. I did. I actually, I came to love Izzy. Izzy was, was me, was a part of me. Latara moved to Atlanta to become a star, but it hadn't quite gone according to plan. But she could make Izzy a star. And when she walked out on stage for the opening ceremony in that bulky blue costume, she wanted to hear the whole world cheer. That is if Kung Lee didn't stop her first. We were going to show up and harass Izzy, who's like running around, wagging his little sperm tail and being like, hooray for the Olympics. Hi, my name's Ben Lewis, host of the new series Art Bust, scandalous stories of the art world. I'll explore some of the most shocking art crimes and biggest scandals. I know it's a cliche, but it's a cliche because it's true. There's no honor among thieves. I would like the European and Western countries, including the United States, to recognize their crimes. It's about murder in the name of art. Tune in to Art Bust, scandalous stories of the art world, an Antica and USG audio production, available wherever you get your podcasts. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Growing up, Kung Lee actually really wanted to compete at the Olympics. It, it began when I started swimming at eight and it ended when I came to my senses and realized I was about six inches too short. <laughs> Kung Lee figured that out at 19 years old when they were swimming in college. By then, they realized... I wasn't going to be an Olympic swimmer. Um, it ate up all this time and it's just like, oh, I can't do it. Um, you know, I'm in college. It's like, live a little. Um, yeah, what did you do instead of swimming? Uh, I came out and became a lesbian. Oh, nice. Okay. <laughs> that then took up all my time and was, yeah. yeah no. <laughs> Kung Lee left college and moved into the city. Um, I was sort of, you know, queer and in the streets. It was a moment of sort of street activism. And it was just like, it just blew my mind open about what Atlanta really was. They were young and out and ready to change the world. They joined groups like ACT UP, protesting government inaction during the AIDS epidemic, and a group called the Lesbian Avengers. And it wasn't long before they set their sights on the Olympics. The city had planned Olympic events all over Atlanta and the surrounding area. The sailing events, for instance, were held in Savannah, whitewater rafting was held in Tennessee, and volleyball was slated for a suburb called Cobb County. And they passed what in retrospect was a very silly resolution um, that essentially said um, 
homosexuals do not meet community standards. This was in the 90s at the height of the culture wars. The Cobb County Board of Commissioners decided to pass a resolution condemning gay people. Kung Lee and other queer activists thought that holding an Olympic event there was basically condoning homophobia. So they started protesting, pressuring ACOG to move the event. And the media started covering them. Gay rights activists are taking on the Atlanta Olympic Committee in a fight over volleyball competition during the 1996 Games. I'm not safe in Cobb County. As a gay person with this anti-gay resolution on the books, it's open season on me. At one protest, some activists wore t-shirts printed with an ugly caricature of Izzy on them. On the back, they said, Izzy a bigot? We did small demonstrations uh, and the Atlanta Olympic Committee would be like, all right, we're going to take it under consideration. Um, and it dragged on all year. Like, I think it was like 10 or 11 months. And then you say, you know, you have to escalate at that moment. And so we knew that like where Atlanta was most vulnerable was traffic. All the new construction around the city was creating these huge traffic jams on the freeways. So here's what Kung Lee and other activists did. They drove seven cars onto I-75 near Cobb County and fanned out across the lanes. Then when all the cars were lined up, they started slowing down, 60 miles an hour, then 50, then 40, and they kept slowing down. And stopped traffic um, across the entire freeway. On the day that you shut down the highway, um, were, were you in one of those seven cars? Don't don't get me arrested now, man. There's like... <laughs> Kungli remembers hearing people behind them honking and screaming. The cars the activists were in were decked out with pink triangles, a symbol of the gay rights movement. I mean, it's kind of seems stressful. Like it's a fr- highway, a busy highway, you know? You're totally terrified. You know, it's like terrified because it's like you feel how much people hate you. <laughs> I mean, like you can feel the road rage, like people hate you for for doing that. After the news reporters and helicopters got footage of the traffic jam, Kung Lee and the other cars sped up again. And that scared the hell out of Atlanta, right? So they were just like, oh, all it's going to take is seven really uh, crazy, dedicated gay people and their cars. That protest worked. The Olympic volleyball event was moved. But the Olympics were still moving forward, full steam ahead, all across Atlanta. And the city started changing. Giant billboards went up for IBM and McDonald's, trying to cash in on Olympic fever. The Swatch Company, remember Swatches? They hung a huge 90-foot watch from a building downtown. Over a thousand streetlights were put up and 2,000 new trees were planted. Things were being torn down. There was construction everywhere. There were bulldozers downtown. There were cranes downtown. The Olympics were taking over. And Kung Lee kept hearing stories of people's lives being disrupted by the games. At the time, they were working for a homeless rights group. Somebody came in um, with a letter that their landlord had given them saying, hey, look, um, when the Olympics come, you're going to have to vacate for these 90 days. And then if you want to come back, the rent is going to be tripled. Um, That was a moment I was like, whoa, this stuff is real. And this is not a good thing for, for the people of Atlanta. 
they realized that the problems went way deeper than a single volleyball event in a homophobic county. The Olympics were coming to town, and a lot of landlords and developers were trying to make money off of it. The city was tearing down its public housing complexes because it was like, hey, let's speed up gentrification. Let's use the Olympics to speed up the displacement of um, poor people out of neighborhoods. And the public face of it all was Izzy. Izzy was on billboards, on TV, on the merchandise being sold by street vendors. Izzy was the embodiment of the games and all the problems they were causing, too. And underneath the costumes was Latara and a growing crew of Izzy performers who she was in charge of. In the lead up to the Olympics, they had dozens of people in tons of Izzy costumes. I was kind of like in charge of the headquarters. I was at home base um, with a bunch of calendars, with a bunch of times of where each person was going to be, a lot of sticky notes. In between the hectic schedule of appearances and meetings, Latara also caught glimpses of what was happening to the city. They didn't think through everything of what they were actually doing and how it affected the community, um, because it did. It did affect the community in a bad way. And, and it's amazing what happens when you do feel like you're going to be under a magnifying glass, you know, to the world what you want them to see and what you don't want them to see, you know. But Latara was in deep. She was running the mascot program and getting ready to perform in the opening ceremony. The city of Atlanta was in deep too. Money already spent, contracts already signed. And Kung Lee, they joined some groups protesting the new developments. They would disrupt ribbon cuttings and press conferences, trying to bring attention to the harm that Olympic development was causing. But they knew they couldn't stop the Olympics. You know, there was just no way the, we were actually gonna succeed in doing much more than be considered spoil sports. They were just a bunch of spoil sports, raining on everyone's parade. And one evening, Kung Lee is sitting around with some other activists. And while they're all talking, Kung Lee is sketching in a notebook. You know, we were talking and I think it's like, I just, I was sketching um, and uh, looked down and then there was Spoil Sport. Spoil Sport. It was a character. Kung Lee kept working on it, adding more details and giving it a backstory. Izzy's very surly sister um, had a certain family resemblance to Izzy and had a very sour look on her face. Spoil Sport was an anti-mascot. She was an anti-Izzy. Izzy was happy. Spoil Sport was angry. Izzy wore silly sneakers. Spoil Sport wore combat boots. So Spoil Sport was woke, mm. right? So like Spoil Sport, like, looked around and was like, who is this idiot brother of mine? And like, whoa, you know, uh, why are you doing that, man? Spoil Sport was a way to express all the anger they felt about the Olympics, a way to break through all the Olympic hype. Kung Lee realized that they could use Spoil Sport. This was the 90s, right? So it's like we made a little zine. Um, and uh, it was a guide to Atlanta. 
It was Spoil Sports Guide to Atlanta. All right, dear visitor, welcome to Atlanta. Whether you're here for the Olympics or for some other reason, this is the only guidebook you'll need for your stay in Atlanta. Unlike other guides, the guide promised to show visitors the truth about Atlanta. What was happening in the lead up to the Olympics? The public housing being destroyed, the increased policing of homeless people. This guidebook doesn't try to cover up our city's problems. And how it all tied into the history of Atlanta. The history of race riots, Jim Crow, and urban renewal. I'm the half-sister of Izzy. The guide took some digs at Izzy. You may be familiar with him. He's the bright blue buck <laughs> mascot of the Centennial Olympic Games. Unfortunately, he got the short end of the stick when it came to brains. If Kung Lee and the other activists couldn't stop the Olympics, they could at least tell a different story about the city. The Izzy versus spoil sport battle was a battle of narrative. Like, was a battle of, like, what's the story of Atlanta? And ultimately, what's the story of America that is being told and is that being understood as true? They printed out a bunch of Kinkos and put them all over the city, in hotels and post offices. And then they had an idea. What if there was a spoil sport costume? What if there was someone performing as spoil sport? The plan was wherever Izzy was showing up, we were going to have spoil sport show up to, you know, to read him, to like, you know, show him the error of his ways. Remember what Latara said about the Izzy costume? How big, elaborate, and complicated to wear it was? Kung Lee and their friends quickly learned that mascot costumes also aren't easy to make. There were a couple of things we tried. We thought you can somehow use wire um, clothes hangers to create a frame. That didn't work. We thought that we could use balloons. That didn't work. We thought that paper mache was possible. That was probably the most possible, but none of us could actually accomplish it. It was so <laughs> janky. I mean, it was just so janky. And this was one of the things we understood. Like, if we were going to show up and harass Izzy, like, you had to look good. Like, she had to look like she could beat, <laughs> she could beat his ass, right? We asked Latara if she had ever heard of Spoil Sport or the zines that Kung Lee made. She hadn't. But just because Spoil Sport never faced off with Izzy, that didn't mean Izzy was safe. Some people were just so mad. I was in a crowd, and I remember this teenager was beating on the costume, like kept hitting the costume. And I do remember the handler like trying to get the person to stop, like leave, leave Izzy alone, leave Izzy alone. And then occasionally they would say, are you okay? But I remember this teenager pulling on the tail. And if, I, if you recall, when I said that the eyes sit on your shoulders, so the tail is pretty much right on my back. When he pulled on the tail, I almost went backwards and went, oh, because he thought it was just so funny that he was gonna pull on the tail until Izzy fell down. I had an injury, a back injury, for about two weeks. There were a few incidents where crowds would be openly hostile to Izzy. Despite all of Latara's hard work, a lot of people in Atlanta still hated it. 
And for Latara, it felt like it was about something more serious than a mascot. It did probably go farther. Like, the the whole thing is stupid. The whole Olympics is stupid. I mean, are you really just going to be mad at a big furry blob? I mean, you know, it's, it's more. It's deeper than that. <laughs> and that's how mascots work. They take this huge, complex thing like the Olympics and give it a face. If that's the one thing that's out there that you can actually touch and feel, you know, I mean, you can be mad all day at the Olympics. Olympics doesn't care. <laughs> but you if you see this thing, you know, this thing, you can, you know, beat up on it and complain to it because, you know, makes you feel better. In the final months before the Olympics, plans were starting to come together for the opening ceremony. They auditioned dancers and got celebrities like Celine Dion and Gladys Knight signed up to perform. But no one reached out to Latara, so she went to speak to her managers. I finally got the answer from a higher up that it's just not, it's just not happening. It was just, it is what it is. Izzy was cut from the opening ceremony. I just assumed it was because they didn't want to deal with any more criticism than they already had. Izzy had become too controversial, a punching bag for everything people didn't like about the games. Latara understood why people were upset. Still, she felt like Izzy was a way to bring some fun to the city. As a performer, she just wanted to brighten people's days a little bit, make them laugh. But suddenly, it was like all the work Latara had been doing for three years was for nothing. It was like Izzy didn't exist at all. I felt like I might have failed on that one. Yeah, so. Yeah, it was difficult. (laughs) Because I put so much of me and my soul into the character and into the performance. The quality of a really good entertainer and a dancer is when you can make people feel something. So I'm putting my soul out there for everybody to see, even though they can't see me. I feel like I'm coming through, but when I wasn't able to do that, it kind of just made me feel like I wasn't doing what I, what I was supposed to be doing. By the night of the opening ceremony, both Kung Lee and Latara felt defeated. Latara was still performing as a dancer and hoped up until the last moment that Izzy would be included, but he wasn't. Kung Lee was watching the opening ceremony from home, and they were a spoil sport about the whole thing. So it's just like in that opening ceremony, you'll see there's a they do a sort of, you know, historical sweep. This is meant to symbolize all the hardship and It's about the sort of difficulty of uh, of telling a history where you have not dealt honestly with slavery and you know the legacies of it. Still goes on today, of course, but many would suggest that Atlanta has done better than most in that regard. 
we all knew we were doing this for the sake of this feeling, this really good feeling that we wanted to bring to the city of Atlanta. And, and we all knew that once it was over, we all had to go. We all knew that it was the end of our jobs. But I just felt like we all came together to do one common thing. I still remember so much about that night and feeling so full, so, so proud of, of being a part of that group of people and that, that could achieve that. And despite Kung Lee's criticism of the Atlanta Games, there's still a small part of them that loves the Olympics. Just like when they were young and dreamed of winning a medal one day. It's like, you know, you're just swept up in this. You can't help it. It's like it grabs you by the heart. You know, everyone is just so excited. And then you come to your senses. This episode was produced by Mitchell Johnson with production support from Alex, Sujong Laughlin, Jess Shane, and Lacey Robert. Our executive editor is Sarah Nix. Executive producing by me, Kareem Maddox, along with Greta Cohn, Josh Block, and Jessica Grimshaw. Sound design by Alex Overington. Jasmine Flott is our music supervisor. Special thanks to the Atlanta History Center for help with this story. To learn more about the 1996 games and their impact on Atlanta, check out the virtual exhibit on their website. This is a USG audio podcast in collaboration with Transmitter Media. For more information, go to our website, usgaudio.com.